Uh, some of you know when I first graduated from Bible college, we we're talking about the 70s. 1977, 1978, uh, we were in Michigan City, Indiana. Some of you know Indiana in 19... Some of say 1978, Indiana, you immediately think blizzard. Yeah. We were in Michigan City, Indiana, boy from South Carolina. We lived in an apartment complex where... Uh, some of you have seen these apartment complex where you go down half a flight, and when you go into the first level of apartments, your windows are on ground level. You know what I'm talking about? And I still remember the guy's name was Coleman. I don't know if you remember that name. He was a, he was a newscaster from Chicago... I think it was Ronald Coleman, and he was predicting a blizzard, and everybody else was saying, no, two or three inches. It snowed 26 inches overnight, lake effect and the blizzard, 50-mile-an-hour winds. Now, a boy from South Carolina does have, has no frame of reference for that. I had, I had no clue. I remember getting up in the morning and opening the curtains. How do you know what I saw? I didn't see anything because we're on ground level. There was nothing. And I was like, well, that's weird. You can't even see out the window. I thought maybe it was frosted, you know, so fro- icy you couldn't. So I went to the door to look out the door. Well, OK, if you know what I'm talking about, where apartment, you know, you're half a flight down. I opened the door and the wind had drifted all the way across that half a flight. So when you open the door, the snow was this high. And I was just standing. I still remember standing there going. I didn't have a shovel in my apartment. How do you even go? How do you even go anywhere? I just I just busted through it. It was a Sunday morning that happened Sunday night. It was a Sunday morning. Becky said something about, you know, probably not going to church. Well, we didn't have cell phones and, you know, computers and all that back then. And so I loaded my family up. It was Dean. He was the only one born. I loaded Dean into a car, little baby Dean. And uh, I went out to, you know, find my car, which I found real fast. I don't know which one is my car because there were just humps out there. And I started cleaning my car off only to realize this is not my car. I'm sure somebody else appreciated the fact that I cleaned a lot of snow off their car before I figured out that's not even my car. It was the next car beside it. We drove to church. Pat, our pastor was in a truck in a, a pushing snow. He got out of the truck and said, what are you doing? I go, we aren't we having church? And he goes, do you not listen to the radio? We didn't do that in South Carolina. We never had it. Anyway, that was crazy. I found out, by, by the way, last, some of you asked, I've been asked, several people asked me, several men asked me how come I wasn't at the men's prayer breakfast yesterday morning. I was actually in Paxton, Illinois. Some, how many remember Nick Claxton? You remember Nick? Uh, only a few people maybe remember Nick, but Nick is a pastor there, Claxton and Paxton. I think that's hilarious. But anyway, he's a pastor in Paxton, Illinois. He had a men's meeting Friday night and I came to preach for his men's meeting and, uh, you know, drove to Illinois. It's a little town. Anybody know where Paxton is? It's a little town. I mean, it's, uh, it's straight west and then a little north. That's the best I can tell you because my GPS, unfortunately, Mr. Genius here just hit the first thing that came up on GPS, which meant the fastest route. I don't know how many country roads Go two miles, turn right. Go three miles, turn left. Go one mile, turn right. Go three. I was like, Morris, I should have just went across 74 and up 57. That would have taken me right to it. There's an exit off of it. But I didn't know that. Anyway, so uh, I found out really fast, by the way, why I love garages. My truck is always in the garage. It was not in the garage Friday night because I stayed in a little hotel, Cobblestone Inn in Paxton, Illinois. And out in the open is my truck. Um, 
I will never have a house without a garage again. That's all I'm going to say about that. My poor truck, it was terrible. All right, let me give you some announcements. I hope you've got a bulletin this morning because there are a lot of announcements in the bulletin. I don't want to spend all morning going across that, but there's a lot of things in there you'll need to know. Uh, I, I know a lot of times you think, well, we're going into February. It's a slow month. Nothing's happening in February. <laughs> Just the opposite for Faith Baptist Church. Of course, two weeks from now, Friday night is uh, Friday, February the 2nd. That's our chili supper and chili cook-off. If you're uh, planning to participate in that, come to eat with us. I hope you are, 6 to 8 p.m. that Friday night. I hope you're planning to come eat with us. Uh, it's a drop-in thing. You can come anytime between 6 and 8. Again, I suggest you come uh, closer to 6 than to 8. You, it, it, it gets a lot harder to get good chili when everything's about gone. Uh, so uh, there's no cost for that. We'll take an offering there and that, that'll cover the cost for it. There's also a chili cook-off. If you're, two things you need to do. One, if you're coming to supper, uh, you need to make sure you sign up in the foyer on the information desk. And I know there's a lot of people probably in here, you're planning to come, you haven't signed up yet. Don't forget that, that's easy to do. Try not to forget that. We need to get an idea how many people are coming, how much chili we're gonna need. The other thing you need to do, if you're planning to be part of the chili cook-off, I think I looked at that this morning, I think there were six or eight people that said, put a check by their name, meaning they're going to participate in the cook-off. You'll need to grab a little sheet, looks like this. It's right beside the, the uh, information thing, and it'll tell you basically the rules for the chili cook-off. So make sure you grab that little sheet. Uh, if you're planning to do that, make sure when you sign your name uh, as you're coming, put a big check mark beside that. We know you're also participating in the cook-off. That'll also help us know how much chili uh, that you need to bring. So read the rules, show up for that, and be prepared for me to beat you at chili. Anyway, uh, so that's, that's this. Okay, this is, is kind of crazy. You, you really need a bulletin to remember all this. So that's the 2nd, February 2nd. February the 3rd starts our equip, Sunday, our equip Saturdays. Every Saturday in February, we do this uh, usually once a year, every, fairness, every Saturday in February, we're going to have an equip session. And the, the sessions are listed in here for you. Uh, there'll be a breakfast in the morning at 9 o'clock. Then after that, you'll go to a class. You'll, uh, Pastor Wallace and Chris Clay are teaching a class on evangelism. Uh, let's see, Pastor Ryan is do, working with teen leaders and parents. I'll be working with G Pastor Jeremy for Faith Recovery. About that's an interesting ministry. If you don't know anything about it, you ought to get involved in that. Uh, then uh, Pastor Jeremy will also be working with Pastor with uh, James Baskerville and Junior Church, and then Awana will be and VBS will be Beth Fabian. So you have a wide range. It's basically to give you an opportunity to train. If you, for instance, come to a faith recovery thing, I'll be training you on counseling. I'll be tra training you on how to talk to people, how to help people with addictions. What can you do? It's not a, necessarily for you. It's for you to learn how to help somebody else. And so I hope you'll come. That's every Saturday in February. So the second is the chili supper. The third starts that Saturday in February, 3rd, 10th, 17th, 24th, if my math is right. Uh, so every Saturday you'll be doing that. Also in February, uh, 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 Dr. Um, I never say his name right. Ouellette, is that how you say it? R.B. Ouellette uh, is going to be coming and doing a family conference. That is... Uh, I think it's 18th. Where is it at? Yeah, 18th through the 20th. That is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday night. He'll be coming speaking. So that's also in February. And then also, I mean, it's just like a lot of stuff going on. So you, do, you need to get a bulletin this morning, okay? And make sure you get all that stuff on your calendar. And then, it, you know, you say, well, we did all that stuff in February. March will calm down. Not so much. We're going to do a few things in March. Uh, there's a go and tell work day. And then, of course, Easter Sunday and 
the list goes on. So uh, you can't remember all that. I can't remember all that. All you have to remember this week is make sure you sign up for the chili supper and make sure you pick up a, a form if you're participating in the chili cook-off. That's enough announcements. Amen. Oh, if you need a Sunday school lesson, uh, there's a new Sunday school lesson. Ken has those in the back if you didn't pick one up. If you're new to our class, by the way, when you come in, they're usually on the back table back there. You can just grab one and pick it up. And so we're moving on to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I don't know if I technically covered everything in Hebrews chapter 9 because technically I don't think it's possible to cover everything in Hebrews chapter 9 unless I do an Old Testament study through, uh, through the book of Numbers, through the book of Leviticus. I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, the correlation between what Paul is saying to the Jews in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 all through the book of Hebrews uh, with the Old Testament is just absolutely amazing. The unity of the scripture, I think, uh, I, I can't say it's, it's expressed here better than it is anywhere in the Bible, but it's definitely a good spot to look at the unity of the scripture and how the Old Testament and New Testament blend together with one uniform message, one pointing to the coming of Christ, one pointing back to the fact that Christ came and is coming again. Uh, if you understand that concept, the Bible makes perfect sense. If you try to separate the two, you're going to have problems. The Jews of Paul's day were trying to rely solely on the Old Testament, not really understanding what the Old Testament was teaching. Uh, a lot of them, there, there were Jews who did understand. Obviously, there were churches uh, that were established that understood who Christ was. But for the majority, letting go of the past was difficult. And so you see, as we go through the book of Hebrews, he continually does that. When you look at the top of your, your page here, it says a superior sacrifice, part one. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, let me, let me just read some passage, okay? Look at Hebrews chapter 10, some great verses. We're going to try to get to verse 18 this morning. I don't know if we'll get that far, but I'm going to try. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, if you've been here last couple of weeks, you, you say, well, you were in chapter 7, and when you were in chapter 7, you talked about Hebrews chapter 10. Well, yeah, I have to, because they it's just part of the same message. And if you've been here last three weeks and I've been in chapter nine, you say, well, when you were in chapter nine, you kept talking about Hebrews chapter 10. All right. Now we're in chapter 10. Do you know what I'm right here, Ken? Way over here. Uh, when you get to Hebrews chapter 10, guess what I'm going to reference? Chapter seven and chapter nine, because the interrelation there is, is so strong, you can't miss it. So we're going to kind of move around a little bit, but I want you to get the verses first. So look at chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. If you were here for any of our other lessons, you understand that completely. That the Old Testament law, the Old Testament system of sacrifices, the temple, and then, I mean, the tabernacle, and then the temple, they never made any perfect. It pointed to one who is perfect. Right. We all we all understand that now. If you've been in the study, it makes perfect sense. And all he's doing now is kind of going back over the same whole thing, the whole thing, but in a very concise manner. He says, for then, if they did make people perfect, if the sacrifices were sufficient to forgive and and to uh, remit or, or uh, for the remission of sin, if they were, what would have happened? Well, once they've established, once they've done that, then it's done. You don't have to re repeat it. Verse two, for that, then they would not have ceased to be offered uh, because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there was a remembrance again made of sins every year. Now, now listen, this is an important point. The idea behind the sacrifices wasn't to cleanse you of your sin. The idea behind the sacrifice was to remind you of the wickedness and the depth of your sin, Right? 
Just like the, the you, you guys understand the, the point of the Old Testament law, if you just take, for instance, the Ten Commandments, the point of the Ten Commandments is not to give you an opportunity to obey the Ten Commandments so you can be saved. That's not the purpose of the Ten Commandments. The purpose of the Ten Commandments is to show you you can't keep the law. You're an imperfect. You are a wicked sinner. And you can go through each of the commandments in one way or another, whether you violated them by actual physical actions or violated them by what you thought in your mind. We've all violated the Ten Commandments, right? I'd love somebody to be able to stand up here and say, I have never stolen anything in my whole life. Maybe you think you haven't, but I, boy, that would make, or I have never borne false witness. I've never lied. That one, that one nobody gets away with, right? I've never murdered. Now, you can say you've never physically murdered anybody, but you ever hated anybody? Because Jesus expanded the law, said if you think it in your heart, it's just as bad. Never committed adultery, never thought about those kind of things. Be careful. The Old Testament law is not there to make you perfect. It's to show you that you're imperfect. The sacrifices that they did, what they were doing in that tabernacle was to show them you are a sinner. You need a Messiah. You need a Savior. You need to put faith in the fact that He is coming. Makes it very simple. So verse 2, uh, verse 3, but in those sacrifices there was a remembrance again made of sins every year. He's talking basically about the day of atonement there. Verse 4, then he goes on to make it very clear. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Okay, and then he goes in verse five. He is actually quoting. He is actually quoting uh, Psalm chapter forty. Uh, in fact, go to Psalm chapter forty. I think I've got mine. Well, I don't have it in my Bible. But, I mean, uh, marked in my Bible. But I think we can go there real quick. Go, go to the book of Psalms chapter forty, and, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Uh, it, this is a direct quote from Psalm chapter forty, and he changes the quote. Now you can't do that, but if you were Jesus, you could do that. Amen. Look at Psalm chapter forty. Let me get back here and uh, let's see where do I want to be. Uh, I think verses six through eight. Yeah, look at Psalm 40. I'm going to read Psalm 40 and then we're going to go back and read uh, Hebrews 9. So keep your, your finger in the right place. So Psalm 40, verse six, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. By the way, just understand this. The idea that God is not satisfied with animal sacrifice was, should not have been new to Old Testament, to the saints in Paul's day. That, that's written all throughout the Old Testament. It's written in the Psalms. It's written in the prophets. Over and over, God says, that is not what satisfies me. Okay, there, there's, there needs to be a perfect human to satisfy that. A perfect human that has God's righteousness within him. Uh, how are we going to get that? Well, that's the Messiah. Anyway, sacrifice and offering, verse 6, that this thou not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offerings and sin offering hast thou not required. Now, note the last part of that verse. Look at the last part of the verse. Just kind of keep your finger here. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offerings and sin offering hast thou not required. Those things are not required to remit sin. Now, in Psalm, it's interesting. In the book of Psalms, it doesn't tell you what is required in that verse. It just says... That's not required. Just remember that for a second. Verse seven, then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do that will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So what, what does that mean? Well, go back to Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews now. Keep your hand there in, in, in Psalms so you can flip back and forth. Now look at, look at verse five. Wherefore, when he cometh in the world, he saith, this is, you see where I'm quoting Psalms now, sacrifice. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, now look at Psalms, that's what it says in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. But in Psalm it says, Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering, sin offering thou hast not required. Hebrews says this, But a body 
hast thou prepared me. Now, wait a minute. Why has that changed? Well, in Psalm, in the Old Testament, in Psalms, he's saying the, 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 the body of animals and the sacrifices you make, those are not required. It takes more than that. When you get to Hebrews, who's talking? When he says this, look at Hebrews when he says in verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh, who is he? It's not a, it's not a, not a short question. When he comes, who is he? Jesus Christ. When he comes, he says... Jesus says, right? When he comes, he says, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. Who is he talking about? He's talking about himself. In other words, those sacrifices were insufficient. This sacrifice is the only sufficient sacrifice. You with me? That's why the Old Testament is, is, can you imagine being a a Hebrew, a, a Jew of those days, you're looking at the Bible and he said, well, he changed what the Bible said. Nope. It actually says exactly the same thing. In the Old Testament, in Psalm chapter 40, he's saying, this is not the requirement. But in Hebrews, he's saying, but this is. You, you see how, it, so it's proper to change that. It's really, it technically, is not a change at all, is it? It's the exact same thing. He says, but a body thou hast prepared, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will. Again, who's saying this? Who is saying it is written of me? Jesus is talking about what you read in the Old Testament about the sacrifice. The only sacrifice that's acceptable is talking about me. I am that sacrifice. It is, again, and I know I've emphasized this and I don't want to overemphasize stuff in Sunday school and just run things in the ground, but come on. Unity of the scriptures, come on. You don't have any explanation for this except for Holy Spirit inspired word of God. Right? There's no way that just happened. It, it, sometimes I read it and I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. So then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, verse 7. Uh, uh, it is written of me to do thy will. Verse 8. And when he said, sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure in them uh, which are offered by the law. Now, again, this is Paul talking about him, talking about Christ. So when Christ said that about himself... He tells you what Christ said, and he said, when he said that about himself, look at what he says, verse 9. Then he said this, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, he that taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Talked about that last week. What does that mean? He took away that imperfect system to establish the perfect sacrifice. When you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, those sacrifices couldn't make anybody perfect, right? They were just a reminder, literally they were a reminder that you're not perfect. You ever thought about that? That's all it was. It was just reminding him, you're not perfect. you got a long ways to go. Uh, I preached here on Wednesday night, and we talked about uh, the three truths about temptation. The number one truth about temptation is we're all tempted. I could have made the number two. That was not the number two, but that number two could have been we're not only all tempted, we all sin. Amen? We're, we, we, we know that. We, we understand... if. If anybody understands my shortcomings better than me, I, I, don't, I, I doubt it. I know who I am, and I know what I am, and I know how I think, and I know sometimes what I do. And I'm constantly reminded about that. And so that's what he's saying. So, uh, Lo, I cometh to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which we are all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. I love the last little phrase, right? Once for all. No more sacrifices necessary. What the Old Testament's talking about has now occurred. 
Verse 11, and every priest standeth daily ministering, uh, talking about previous priests, standeth daily ministering, offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Okay, but this man, Christ, that is, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Again, we're quoting uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, Verse 13, from henceforth expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. He's sitting on the right hand of God until his enemies be made his footstool. If you've been in Sunday school, if you've been in our worship service, pastor has talked a few times, made a prophetic timeline. Does, is that what we're talking about here? That's exactly what we're talking about. Until his enemies be made a footstool. What's going to happen in the millennium? Where's Christ in the millennium? He rules and reigns where? Right here. And his enemies will. Until that time, that's where he is. He will come back. Amen. That is going to happen. Uh, we don't think of a lot of times Hebrews as a prophetic book. But it's not only linking you to the Old Testament. Now it's linking you to the future. And prophecy and what's going to happen. And over and over you'll see it in this constant unity of the scriptures. Verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said, this is the covenant that I will make with them. I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write in their minds. Uh, and, I will, and in their minds will I write them. Again, uh, I don't know if you remember, we went back and we looked, I think that's Jeremiah 31. We looked at Jeremiah 31 and now he's quoting Jeremiah. Remember when we started talking about Hebrews, how many times Paul in the Hebrews is going to quote the Old Testament? And again, why does he need to do that? Pretty obvious reason, right? Because he's talking to Jews. They were trusting in Old Testament sacrifices and all he's saying is this, that's not what the Old Testament even told you. That's not what it said. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. So he's constantly going to go back to the Old Testament. Uh, so what you read there in verse 16, 17 uh, are, are both Old Testament quotes. And this, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. That's a quote from Jeremiah 31, 34. Their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Uh, there's a... There's a well, I better not go in there. I was about to give you a whole sideline there, and then I would never finish the lesson, and we would never get anywhere. Uh, but there's a difference between uh, when God, when God uh, forgives your sin, God now chooses not to remember your sin again. There's a difference between remembering, not remembering and forgetting. You understand that, right? Forgetting is passive. You don't try to do it. It just happens, especially as you get older. <laughs> I have... I am now at the age, I don't know what's happened to me. I'm now at the age, I'm 67, I'm now at the age, I remember most everything except for people's names. I don't know what it is with names. I mean, people I know, people I should know. I, I'll, you know, I'll, I may be talking about the pointers and I'll say, you know, Max and, uh, um, you know, his wife. And he's like, well, you know the pointer, you know Jill, you know, I know. Anybody else do that, the name thing? I don't know, what, what is it with names? I, all of a sudden, I, 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 you guys know I stand at the front door and you know, talk to people and I try to say people's names. Some of you were going to figure out one day, if he didn't, why didn't he say my name? Well, he said, but you know me. You've been in this church 15 years. You, I was here when you came. You've eaten supper in my house. Yeah, I know, I know. But I didn't intentionally think I'm going to forget their name. That's not what happens, is it? It Forgetting is something God doesn't do. Think about this for a second. This is beautiful. God doesn't forget. Can God remember your sins if he wants to? Yes or no? 
Well, obviously, he's God. He can bring them. But God, this is the beauty. When God forgives you, he chooses not to bring that back to remembrance. I think that's more beautiful than forgetting. God knows my sins, but he doesn't bring them back to remembrance. He doesn't slap, him, slap me in the... If I've confessed my sin and I've taken it to God and asked him for forgiveness, guess what? He's forgiven me. And if I'm after that sin, still worried about it, that's not God's doing that. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the devil or my own stupid flesh. Amen? If it's forgiven, it is forgiven. Their sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. I'm not going to bring it back up to you. You ever, you ever do that? Bring it back up? I do that sometimes when I continue. I, 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 I sin in a certain way. I ask God to forgive me. I know he's forgiven me. I'm sincerely repenting with all my heart. And if I do that, right, he forgives me and cleanses me from all unrighteousness, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Did he or did he not? He did. And then, you know, weeks later, months later, sometime hours later. But I commit the same sin. And immediately, you know what the devil says to me? Yeah, see, you're, you're so bad. Look what, no, no, that's gone. This I need to repent of. This I need to get right. That's done. Amen? I think sometimes we, we overburden ourselves. I find there's two types of Christians, those who never confess sin and don't worry about it, and those who over-confess sin. I mean, they're constantly terrified. God says, I remember it no more, and that's all I really need to know, amen? If I've really repented of it, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent there. Uh, so verse 18, now, we're, now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. There's no more need to offer. Now, look, look at your notes real quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time in the notes because we covered a lot of this last week. But I want to show you a couple things. So look at your notes real quick. Right in the middle of that page, you see where it says first, second, third. You see those words in uh, dark print. Okay, so first, second, third is basically the way I've divided the chapter. Okay, so when it says first, the Old Testament sacrifices were ineffective in taking away sin. However, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifices. You can cover those 10 verses by saying this. Old Testament sacrifices were a reminder of sin. The New Testament sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ was the remission of sin. Amen? Done. Gone. Wiped away. That's the simplest way I can tell you what those 10 verses are saying. These were not to remit any sin. They did not save you. They reminded that you are a sinner. These were to remit sin. By the way, it's interesting to note this. So same is true, the same is true of the two ordinances we have. The Lord's Supper and Baptism. They are to remind us of what's happened in our life, right? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I needed that. I, I need to confess that. And then the Lord's Supper. I need daily cleansing. I don't need cleansing all over. I, I, I mean, I, I, that was another thing, but... As if you talk about foot washing, I need my feet washed. I need that daily cleansing. The relationship has been established. Amen. When I get saved, there's a new relationship. I've been born again. I'm one of the, to them. He gave power to become the sons of God. The relationship has been established. But when I sin, I don't lose the relationship, but I do damage the fellowship between me and God. He is still the father. I'm still the son. But the, the communion is damaged. I was talking to somebody last night about that, and they're like, I just don't feel like I can talk to God anymore. Yeah, I bet, I bet you don't. You continue in your sin, that's what happens, right? And so the relationship, I don't need forgiveness for salvation. I need forgiveness so I can get the relationship right, I mean the fellowship right again. Amen? Okay, so understand that. Now, 
Second, the Old Testament sacrifice. So first, the Old Testament kind of gives you this concept that uh, it, it was ineffective and in taken away sin, but Christ's sacrifice was perfect. Uh, second, the Old Testament sacrifice had to be offered continually and repeated daily. But Christ's sacrifice never needed to be repeated. He offered one sacrifice for sin forever. Now, let me go you a quick little Bible study. Uh, here, I'm going to just follow through. Just, I'm going to read some verses. Here's the old concept. Look at chapter 7 and verse 27. Go back to Hebrews 7, 27. And I want you to notice the word. I'm going to, I'm going to notice some word. I just kind of get the words, okay? So here's chapter 7, verse 27. Who needeth not, what's the next word? Daily, as those high priests to offer sacrifice for his own sins and for the people. For this he did once, and he offered himself. So we're talking about, when you look at the Old Testament, it was a daily sacrifice that had to be offered. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. Chapter 9, verse 7. Okay, but in the second, talking about the second, the Holy of Holies, and second with the high priest alone went once every year, right? Note that. Uh, go to chapter 9, verse 25. Verse 25. Now, yet that he should offer himself often, every year, daily, often. You getting the words? Okay, uh, look at chapter 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those sacrifices which they offered Year by year, continually. So daily, continually, year by year, often. You get the phrases? Okay, now look at chapter, look at verse 3. For those sacrifices, for in those sacrifices is a remembrance again made when? Every year. Look at verse 11, same chapter. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice. So daily, continually, oftentimes, year by year. It, you, you get the idea? All right, now go back and look again. Here's your comparison. Go back, to the, go back to chapter 7 again. Look at verse 27. So in verse 27, it talks about how they did it daily. But look at the last part of the verse. Um, I lost my spot. Okay, uh, daily for, for sins. And then the peoples, for this he did... Talking about who? Christ. What's the next word? What's the word there? So there were daily necessary to remind us, but how much, how many times it had to be forgiven and paid for? Once. Okay, that's chapter 7. Now go back to chapter 9 again. Uh, look at verse 12, chapter 9, verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into... Uh, he entered once, you see it again, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Not day by day, not year by year, once for eternal redemption. Look again at chapter, uh, you're in, that's uh, chapter uh, 9, verse 12. Look at verse 25. For Christ not, is not entered in the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Not yet that he should offer himself often as a, as a priest entered in the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then he must have suffered from the foundation of the world. But now, see the word? Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin for the sacrifice of himself. Uh, and it just, it just keeps going on. You, you see the comparison over and over. Uh, look again at chapter 10, verse 2. For then would they not be, have ceased to be offered, because uh, that the worshipers uh, once purged should have no more conscience. How many times did it have to out be offered? Once. So you go from continually, daily, and then you get to the, those beautiful verses in chapter 10, uh, verses, uh, verses 10 and verses 12, uh, by which we are also sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once 
for all. Verse 12, but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Verse 14, for by one offering of the, uh, hath he perfected forever them that are sanctified. So you go from, what he's trying to get the Jews to understand, you go from continually, daily, year after year, time after time, sacrifice after sacrifice, reminding you, you are not perfect. You cannot be perfect by sacrifices. There's nothing you can do to make yourself perfect. Till you go to the New Testament and it says once, forever, eternal redemption. I mean, the comparison is stark, is it not? And it had to be stark to them. I mean, they had to be sitting there going, wow, that's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, I, I wish I had time to go through the rest of this lesson. Uh, when you're looking at the second, the bottom of that page, only Christ's sacrifice could take away sin. The Old Testament sacrifices were symbolic. I think we've covered that enough. I think I'm not going to go through and go through the words images and foreshadow. And I mean, it, it's over and over. Okay, so I'm going to let that go. But look next, what it says, go to the next page, page 90. Go to the last part uh, of the top there, uh, of the bottom, where it says, if the burnt offerings and sacrifices. You see where I'm at? I'm on page 90, uh, three quarters of the way down from the page. If the burnt offerings and sacrifices were not intended as a payment for sin, then what was their purpose? Okay, I, I almost think that's a question the Jews were asking themselves in their mind. Wouldn't you? If Paul's saying that it's no longer necessary, I'd be like, well, why have we been doing this for hundreds of years? Okay, so what was the purpose? Well, why did God command the people to offer sacrifices? One reason is offered in this chapter, remind them that they were sinners. But in those sacrifices, there was a remembrance again made every year. The lesson the Jews should have understood from all the animal sacrifices and ritual ceremonies of the tabernacle was that they were all sinners and no man of animal sacrifice could ever atone for sin. Therefore, they should look for the one who would come to offer him as the perfect sacrifice of sin. This is still a faith issue, just like it's a faith issue now. I look to the fact that Jesus Christ has come and paid the price for my sin. They were to look to the, to the point that there was a Messiah that was coming that paid. It was a faith issue then. It is a faith issue now. They could not do anything to make themselves more righteous, nor can you. Well, if I come to church and I read my Bible and I pray, nope. That's not going to make you more righteous. That will help you with the fellowship and that will make you a better testimony for Christ. And it may actually help somebody else come to Christ, but it doesn't impart any grace to you. Be careful. A lot of people do exactly what the Jews is. They took those Old Testament ceremonies and they made them their way into salvation. No, they pointed to the way of salvation. You got it? New Testament Christians... A lot of New Testament churches, even fundamental Baptist churches, we do the same thing. We start making those things the way to heaven. You're not a good person because you come to church. You're not a good person because you give, you know, 10 percent or 20 percent or whatever percent of your income. You're not a good person because you obey them. No, you do that because God's already made you a good person. And that is response to that. Those things don't save you. Those things show others that you are saved. Those things should show others Christ in you, not you in you. I love what Steve Currington said one time. I thought, I still remember him saying this, and I was in a meeting with him in Chicago. And he said this, and for a second I had to stop and think, oh, that's true. He said this, he said, God did not save you to make you a better you. And when he first said that, I was like, what? Sure he did. You know, that was my first response. Because, you know, my brain 
your brain moves really fast sometimes. So I was like, what? He said, God did not save you to be a better you. In fact, God didn't save you to be you at all. He saved you to be like him. Yeah. Amen? You don't, you don't really want a Sunday school teacher that's a really good Morris. You'd rather have a Sunday school te- teacher that reflects Christ. Right? And who he is. That's the idea. And in the Old Testament, the Jews got off track and made the system what they worshipped. Not the Savior. Now you know, I'm, you know I'm right when I say this. Does that happen in other churches in our society? Can I name different religions that that is very obvious? It's the system that saves you, right? Be careful, Baptists, that you're not doing the same thing. The system didn't save you. It's still the Savior. Amen? It's still faith. And that's what we're talking about. When we read these first 18 verses, that's what he's saying. He's getting the Jews to realize Quit trusting in the tabernacle. Quit trusting in the temple. Quit trusting in sacrifices. Those things pointed you to something. Quit trusting in baptism. Quit trusting in Lord's Supper. Quit trusting in church attendance and Bible reading. Those things show who you are and who you've put your faith and trust in. Right? Okay, so understand that. Uh, Keep reading the bottom of page 90. Imagine a man, I, I think this is a decent illustrations always fall short, but it's a decent illustration. Imagine a man who's hopelessly and desperately in debt. One day he's brought in the presence of the only man who's interested in his case. That man has the power to forgive his debt and, with, and, with, and, and also all future debt. If the, if the proposal, if the proper appeal is made. Boy, get my tongue right. Now imagine as the man approaches the debtor, he sees the man's shadow cast upon the ground. Immediately he falls and, be, and begins pleading with the man's shadow for help. He speaks only to the shadow and ignores the man. He begs the shadow to help him. Does, he, he does this sincerely and humbly with his whole heart. Does the shadow do him any good? What is, how does that relate to what I'm just talking about? That's exactly what the Old Testament Jews were doing. They were trusting in the shadow, not in the Savior. Be careful that you don't do the same. This church has no power to save you. Well, that's sad to say out loud. It sounds like a terrible statement, but it's absolutely true. Pastor Monty can do nothing to save you. There's only one Savior. And he had one sacrifice for sin forever. Amen? Dear Father, Lord, I pray that you'll continue to work in our hearts. Help us to make sure that we're focusing on the right things in our church. We're focusing on our relationship with Christ and our relationship to others because of our relationship with Christ. Help him to be the center, not the system, but the Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.